Hi everybody and welcome to another episode of the Digital Twin Fan Club with me, Henry Femby-Taylor, and I'm joined by Simon Evans. Hello. And for the first time, Chris Cooper. Hello. Sean Ordain. Hi, yeah. And Amelia Burnett. Hi. Great to have you all here. Chris and I, a few weeks back, were talking about city scale and wide scale digital twins. And, you know, where have we seen some great examples of it? And because it's such a topical thing right now, you know, everyone's focusing on digital twins at a bigger level. We've moved away from just focusing on twins of discrete things. We wanted to really see if we could unpack and explore where that's been done in practice. Yeah. um, And I got uh, wind of some really cool stuff going on uh, down in New Zealand, in Wellington in particular, um, because of a, a smart community podcast that I was involved in. I was getting very passionate about the idea of using um, citizen-led stories, putting the people that live in places first and then creating twins as a result of it. And I got introduced to um, Sean, who's been doing some absolutely awesome stuff down in Wellington. Yeah, Sean, what have you been doing, Sean? (laughs) Tell us about it, Sean. (laughs) We've been experimenting. So I'm a city innovation lead for the Wellington City Council. So we sit down in the capital of New Zealand. We have been exploring what digital cities can do for our people and for our community. And uh, in the process of that, we seem to have produced a lot of components of a city digital twin. So, uh, What a happy coincidence. It's one of those cases where we seem to have blundered into something, but it seems to work. It's wonderful. What I what I particularly love about it, Sean, is is that you've you've got um, a whole number of threads that seem to be coming together really well. Um, so you, you do things that are citizen led or, or because this is what what could be cool and then getting the feedback. And, and if it works well, you, you dig a little more. And if, it, if it's not, you kind of quietly sideline it. And some of the things that you've, you've built up over the years, this isn't just something that you've, you've kind of gone, oh, yeah, and this month we're going to go, ta-da, I've got a digital twin. It's been really iterative and you can see the improvement. And I love the fact that you're now changing. And this is something that I predicted was going to happen and it's nice to know your prediction the thing is i don't know whether i told anyone this was going to happen but uh, <laughs> the, the, the prediction that once you start telling stories um you change the dialogue between the the city leaders and the city executives that organize and run the show and so, so and they can they've got stuff they can cry about and go hey look you know i've done this to the place and the data's telling me and then the citizens and the people are going i like the look of that map i like the look of that story um tell me, Mr. Politician, why are you so awesome and why have you made that happen? And we're getting a level of a change in so, dialogue. So no one ever to a politician. Well, <laughs> you're, going to have a, you're going to have data scientists and, and information managers and urban landscapers, maybe the future uh, of politicians, Henry. You know, just, wow, that's just very true. That's but no, I love, I, love, I, love, I love what Sean's been doing. Absolutely. I think that's a really interesting uh, point there. Uh, Amelia, you've worked a lot with uh, creating engaging stories around digitization and digital twins, and you understand that piece. How important do you think it is to take that approach? 
I think it's critical for a number of reasons. The first being, you know, securing funding and the the go ahead to do something. That most of the time, it's not the technical community that you're trying to convince. It's those who don't necessarily understand the technical, but they do understand getting clean water to people and happy children who are learning well in schools and getting to work a little bit faster. They do understand the implications of infrastructure done better, and that's generally linked to their either their um, political goals or their policy goals or just the, the role that they've been put in to serve people. So if you convince those hearts and minds in the first instance, you're going to make your job a little bit easier because you've got that senior buy-in for digital transformation, which has shown time and time again, if you have that senior buy-in, it's easier to get things done. And then importantly, you're in a you're in a public service role. You know, you're there to make things better for the end user ultimately. And going in, being able to go into different communities and tell stories that resonate with them, you're more likely to get that stakeholder buy-in as well and create something that's a little bit better in the end because you're developing it with the users. So it's really just delightful to hear that that's what's happening down in Wellington. And I'd be really interested, uh, Sean, as we talk a little bit more about it, to understand how taking a, a te ao Māori view has influenced the way that that's been developed. Because here in New Zealand, we we have to make sure that everything we're doing, we're being a good treaty partner as well. And, and maybe, Sean, you can touch a little bit on what that means. Absolutely. So of the sort of settler countries, New Zealand is very unusual in that we're the only one that was founded in mutual partnership with our native people. So the, that partnership sits at the absolute heart of our government and every organ of government and the way we do things. And so that's meant that when we take things like the Gemini principles uh, and figure out how they'll work in our context, we have to also put in place those treaty principles. So going to Amelia's point, one of the interesting things for us is We've never actually known precisely what a city digital twin was. Um, we feel it's one of those things that's being defined as it's made. And one day, probably about a year after we've actually achieved it, we'll point back and go, we did it. Um, <laughs> it's the way these things tend to work in public service. Um, but what that means is we're trying to take an approach where we learn alongside everybody else. And so that means, um, for example, we have a youth council made up of young people across the city. We have some amazing Māori leaders that are part of that, uh, that are going to be the future of Wellington. And so that has meant bringing uh, them in to explain it to things like the Festival of the Future, which is a big festival for young people all across New Zealand. And in the process of that, we've started to find things like, uh, what, what are our tangata whenua, our local people, interested in uh, measuring because what gets measured gets done and you'll be surprised how much a worldview can impact measurement. We've also been experimenting with uh, how you tell stories in virtual reality and how you converge te ao Māori which is the Māori worldview uh, with a digital worldview and so that's led us into territory like um, indigenous data sovereignty. Now a local government is never going to solve the issues of Indigenous data sovereignty, but we can help. And so during uh, our experiments with COVID contact tracing, we took that opportunity to put those principles into action and to see what would happen. Uh, so what we found there was 
actually by taking principles of identity and making sure that data stayed with the person, we could create systems that were much more trusted um, than necessarily the more centralized systems we would normally have created. So we don't necessarily know precisely what an indigenized digital twin looks like. I think we know the line of advance to take to try and find out. It's the complexity of what you've got to deal with in that kind of setting is is quite unique, as you say, you know, the only um, settled nation where this has happened in, in treaty. So I'd wonder if you could unpack a bit, maybe first what what your twin is in, in essence, and then maybe talk through some of the use cases. So the twin journey has we've been on has been uh, basically moving from digital models to digital replication or of, a, of the city. So something that sort of looks like, behaves like, feels like the city represented in digital space. And uh, a lot of that journey has been propelled by um, things like earthquakes and pandemics and all sorts of other miseries uh, that afflict humanity. <laughs> so you can't have a silver lining without a cloud. Um, so if we look at the sort of, if we go back to the earthquake routes, which are sort of what have informed our pandemic approach. Uh, we had an earthquake ooh, about six, seven years ago on the other side of Cook Strait at a place called Seddon. So it'd be about 70 kilometers from the city, around about that. Uh, and it took us about three days to inspect the city um, and all its large buildings to make sure it was, was safe to reoccupy. And quite a few of us looked around and went, there has to be a better way. Uh, and we did have these large three-dimensional models of the city that we had been experimenting with uh, that were derived from LIDAR. So uh, we had another earthquake a little bit later in a place called Kaikoura, which is a bit further away, but much more powerful. And that caused considerable disruption to the city. And during that disruption, we said, right, now's the time. So we moved our models into the cloud and began deploying mobile devices to all of our workers in the streets. And what was what they were doing is essentially collecting all of the information they would normally have done on paper, but in real time, firing it up into the cloud as we still had transmission and effectively inspecting the city and allowing us to then communicate it. And that was the really powerful part of the sort of twin experience for us, or well, the first time we realized what a digital twin could do. Because what happened was one of the ministers came down to our headquarters and said, why haven't you shut down the city? You're going to get people killed. And we were able to fly him around virtually, showing him uh, what the particular issues were with the buildings, why we had isolated uh, the pockets of city we had, and what the path forward looked like. And more importantly, all the different disciplines like engineers, geologists, economists, we could all point at the uh, at the buildings as we were explaining things to him and he could understand it. And he went from a position of being deeply skeptical to very confident, uh, which is probably the most powerful political intervention I've ever seen uh, made in front of me. And at that moment we realized actually we could do much better with this. And so then what we've done is continued to develop that with sensors so that we could understand what the seismic uh, energy was doing in different parts of the city at a very fine uh, degree of uh, detail. We've been working on data markets so that private sensors can be integrated in particular situations. 
and then we've uh, also been working on making sure we have those feedback loops. So, for example, that the inspectors can see the condition of a building before they go into it from the sensor so that they know roughly what to expect or where to look. Um, we've also found that we could then start working in parallel. So that same information that was telling me about buildings uh, was being piped sideways to our economic units so that we could understand the impact on businesses and piped the other way to our welfare team so that we knew how many people we would have to help, what their needs were, how many pets were involved. And so you had this system operating very well before, before the pandemic. And then during it, we started to expand those shared data systems to incorporate government data so that we could understand if a case arose in an area uh, what are the attributes of that area and what sort of tactics did we have to take to contain it? Now, bear in mind, last March, we knew very little about COVID. We didn't know how to treat it. We certainly didn't know how to contain it. But what we could see is, as evidence built up, what did that evidence look like as it was applied into the city? And that meant that that digital twin and the more importantly, the thinking behind it could inform our response. So one of the biggest ways it did it was rather than packing a whole lot of groceries to make sure people got fed during our lockdown, we advanced uh, lines of credit, um, PPE, equipment, all sorts of things to the NGOs which care for our citizens each day. And we basically said, rather than repivoting our bureaucracy, what we'll do is we'll take this once in a lifetime chance to invest in our third sector. But we could only do that because we'd created those shared data systems which told us with very light touch reporting from the NGOs, how many people they're helping and what part of the city and how they were helping them, which meant we could meet our fiscal transparency requirements. And what that did was basically sped up the whole system, but we could also see on our maps how people were responding and were there any gaps. We also worked with places like Data Ventures, which is the commercialization arm of the statistics department in the central government. And we were looking at mobile phone coverage indexing and census data, which told us how people were moving around and roughly which communities would join to which other communities, which meant that if we did end up with chains of transmission, we could tell where they would appear next. Um, so there was then physical interventions we could make in infrastructure uh, to cut them. And I guess that's the idea that if you if you knew where people were and they were commuting in and out of, you could then make decisions of where to lock down the city. It was more of a case of making sure that A, the lockdown that our government had ordered didn't have a whole bunch of other knock-on problems, and B, making sure that we were making it as effective as possible so that we didn't have to do it again. In that world of um, pandemics, unintended consequences are writ very large. In some areas, when you make a small policy mistake, the consequences can be minor or, or inconsequential, whereas it seems like in, in pandemic politics, making a small, a small error of judgment can have massive consequences as your R number escalates and escalates. Oh, those unintended consequences can cause, uh, they're not distributed evenly across the population either. And so what we were finding is there were particular needs in particular neighbourhoods. Um, a really good example is building managers, people who look after apartment blocks. Uh, they didn't sign up to be effectively jailers. They signed up to look after an apartment block. So 
by understanding their environment and being able to communicate the attributes of that environment meant we could support them better. But also during that um, lockdown, we had a series of very large waves at the southern coast of the city. So we had to evacuate those people. Now, trying to evacuate households whilst maintaining their bubbles is quite a challenge. So to do it, we stepped it through in the, in the virtual reality interfaces we use for the Digital Twins first, uh, because we'd never done that before. And uh, just that rehearsal meant that we could at least have an idea of the kinds of hazards we would have to deal with, but also it let us um, simulate what the logistics look like. So we got the right number of transports, sent them to the right places, figured out how we were going to deal with queues, all that kind of stuff. One of the key use cases of Digital Twins is being able to manage something remotely. You can't send someone, you can't go and immediately do something about the problem that you have. So a digital twin helps you manage that situation. How does that help in a, an earthquake situation? So the thing you have to remember about earthquakes is if they're severe enough, they will impact your ability to communicate. Uh, so centralized systems don't work very well during earthquakes above a certain magnitude. Uh, so what that has meant is we've had to adapt our way of doing digital. So thing, using technologies like burst transmissions, uh, where we basically use the last bit of energy to send the transmission back to the headquarters. Um, my other favorite piece is we subsidized some houses to put solar panels on their roofs. Uh, in exchange for those subsidies, they had to put a USB slot on their letterbox. Uh, that USB slot can be used during a, uh, a an event that takes out the power grid to recharge phones and devices, um, which gets me around some of those dependency problems. It also gets around the other big problem uh, after an emergency, which is how do you tell the time? So most people don't have watches anymore. Uh, the, uh, the ability to manage remotely has been quite an interesting one for us. So during the Kaikoura earthquake, that was the first emergency we dealt with uh, in the cloud, which is pretty much the, was the first step to remote management. That was an interesting step for us to take because it meant understanding that you could defend a link to the internet far better than you could defend a link to a data center, um, which was a quite a psychological barrier for a lot of us, but we managed it. The, uh, and then during COVID, of course, we had to manage the city remotely because the idea of forming a traditional civil defence response where you essentially pile up enough people to get something done is a very, very bad idea in a pandemic. Um, at one point, I had to brief a, a very senior official to point out that actually the greatest risk to the city was the response because of the number of people that it was pulling in into close proximity. And so during that response, we managed to virtualize our own headquarters from having normally sort of 40 plus people and down to just having four people. And that was largely to do with governance requirements. There's certain decisions you have to make in person because of the authentication on them. Pretty impressive that that's, that that's changed so much in just a few years. I was part of the civil defense response to the Canterbury earthquake sequence mm. and remember very well being down in the Christchurch Art Gallery and how much of it was huddles, whiteboards um, and 
just making decisions with pieces of paper that got handed around from person to person. So seeing how much things have changed in a relatively small piece of time. I mentioned there were some lessons learned from the Canterbury from the Canterbury there were some lessons learned from the Canterbury earthquake sequence that you were able to take forward into the COVID response. Yes, so we had sent officers to uh, to Christchurch to assist uh, to assist the council down there in their response, and so we brought back a lot of those um, a lot of those lessons. The biggest lesson for us, though, was that you can't learn very well whilst your city is falling down around your ears. Therefore, if you are going to use technology, you need to use it every day, and so that's the other thing that's driven that digital twin capability forward is finding everyday uses for the technology we're going to need in an emergency. So for example, the same technology which our building inspectors use uh, to inspect buildings is used every day by all of our street workers to report uh, broken infrastructure, vacant shops, all sorts of things. Really integrated system completely. Every single person involved in it is, is constantly feeding in to the same, the same system millionaires absolutely and that's that it's that power of uh, a system that's made for extreme circumstances being applied in the everyday makes it refines it it hones the edges of it i think if you come if you want to rely on an emergency system the last time you want to test it is in an emergency oh yes um i remember getting out a radio uh from its box um and not knowing how to actually work it and go. <laughs> uh, I can't believe it. I can believe it. <laughs> the when your house is burning down and you meet them outside, it's kind of yes. that exactly testing and doing things in advance. Isn't isn't it fantastic? Our industry is full of hype and driven by the the product leaders saying, oh, "I've got a widget," and and Sean has just been telling us things that we should be hyping because it's making a real impact. I love the the incremental build up of of how this is going on and and the, the whole systems approach and using the justification for well this is great for resilience but that a really simple principle such as let's not use it if we're not using it every day because that gives us confidence and it's proving it on an ongoing basis we should be taking these these wee gems and percolating them around these other digital twins that are starting to come up because you've got some fantastic rules of thumb lessons learned um yeah. parables of, of this is how you could do it and, and this is what i love about the way you're telling the story sean it's, it's awesome thank you so one of the most critical decisions for the city during our COVID response was working with the government on where managed isolation facilities sh should go uh, to do that required many, many different uh, disciplines to be involved, but it also meant understanding the tactical need of how do we ensure movement of people into the country with how do we recover in the long term as a city. So we used our digital twin to basically display all of the accommodation providers in the city and the attributions of that uh, accommodation. And then use that to basically pull the the argument out of which hotel to which part of the city. And so what that meant was we could pick hotels that were going to work for managed isolation, but also not impact the longer term revitalization of our shopping streets. 
So one of the ways that New Zealand's managing the pandemic is when you come into the country, those who are allowed in have a 14 day stay in a hotel facility. I think some of you will remember the emails that I was sending from from my time within one of those facilities within Auckland. But it's something where is an important line of defence for keeping COVID out of New Zealand and making sure that we can continue to enjoy the freedoms that, that we manage to have here. And it's been extremely effective. And I think the world has looked on in awe at New Zealand in its COVID response. And the one I'm going to pick on again and ask if you can neatly package is when you're telling us about workers from the east and the west of the sister city and the mobile phone data and that convergence. So one of the critical things early in the pandemic response last March was understanding how the city was working and whether our lockdown that had been imposed nationally was working. So what we did is we worked with Data Ventures, which is part of the Statistics New Zealand Department, and they had taken all of the cell phone providers' data, anonymised it, indexed it against census data, and provided uh, authorities like us with a feed to that data. What that meant was we could understand uh, the nuances of our city environments. So for example, we were looking to provide a great deal of aid into the densest areas of our cities where there were apartment blocks. But we discovered early on through that data that actually most of those apartments were empty. The people had already left uh, before the lockdown, which completely changed the distribution of resources. It also meant we could understand which suburbs and communities were linked together. So for example, Karori in the west of the city, where I live, uh, was linked strongly to Thorndon, which is where the nearest very large supermarket was, and uh, Newtown, which is where the city's main hospital was through the health workers. And understanding those chains of uh, those links meant that we, if there were chains of transmission, we would be able to understand in advance where the disease was likely to go. Which is right. ridiculous if you think of it, just the way of being able to trace or have that understanding of you know, if something hap happens, as you say, in, in Newtown in the centre, then you know immediately that actually you need to consider isolating these other communities because you're most likely to have an outbreak there and then completely adjust your your way of addressing it on, in, in real time, basically, as the new data comes in, where I think many other countries um, at the time, and I think some still, are really struggling with that ability to really hone in on where's the next pop-up going to be and how do I really put a kind of a, a ring fence around that to control it. It's a, a good way to just think about what information should we capture. You know, if you look at the tube network in London, you know where someone's gone on the tube and when they've gone on the tube, off the tube, but not necessarily the the matrix or the, the, the route that they've followed in order to get from that start point to that end point. So in times like this, knowing how you can anonymise that information, but have it for a public health response or a, a planning response becomes so useful. And I think the use case that we have seen down in, in Wellington and in New Zealand for using that information in an appropriately secure and anonymous way can really help decision makers is a good one to take forward. It's been a really interesting journey that we've gone on today in terms of the clear need that has been demonstrated in New Zealand, in Wellington, around understanding your city, 
understanding what is happening in it, what the future might hold, how you can react to it, but then bringing it back down to this is how it affects you today, tomorrow. This is your life. This is how your family, your friends, your community are impacted by potential changes, whether they be catastrophic or planned. It's really important to be able to understand these and communicate these for digital twins to realize their benefits. Thank you.